1: Willamette Falls is one of Oregon's most impressive natural wonders, but chances are you've never seen it up close. That may eventually change. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source, for supporting the show. Up next, the Oregonian in Oregon Live's Jamie Hale talks about the Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ronde and other tribes' plans for Willamette Falls. We talked about the cultural significance of the falls, the long road to this moment, and what the tribe's purchase says about the future possibilities of ancestral lands going back into tribal hands. Here's our conversation. Jamie Hale, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Jamie, I feel like if there's a single place in Oregon that modern-day residents, or non-Indigenous ones at least, don't understand the importance of, it's Willamette Falls. So can you describe this place for for people who might not know about it?
0: Yeah, Willamette Falls is really um, a really impressive waterfall that we don't really see that often. It's not like Multnomah Falls, where you can go to the base of it and get a really good look at it. Um, so it's a, it's a waterfall that is on the Willamette river, just right there, um, in Oregon city. And it's not very tall. It's only about 42 feet high, but the cool thing about Willamette falls is that it is just so wide. It t- kind of takes up a big chunk of the river and the volume of the waterfall itself is enormous. So just to give you an idea, um, this is, these are the numbers according to, um, the Northwest waterfall survey, which, um, Goes and surveys a bunch of different waterfalls around the region. Mm-hmm. And according to them, the average volume of water coming out of Lamma Falls is almost 33,000 cubic feet a second. And I know that number doesn't like mean <laughs> a lot necessarily. So just to give you some comparison, Multnomah Falls has an average volume of 150 cubic feet per second. So this, the water that comes through here is just, I mean, enormous compared to the waterfalls that we're used to seeing. So
1: why do we not have such a close relationship with this pretty spectacular natural wonder?
0: Well, I mean, from the the time that um, white settlers were coming into Oregon and forcibly removing a lot of the indigenous people from this area, it was basically used as an industrial site. Um, it was the site of various mills from, um, I want to say about 1829 or so, through the 21st century. So this has always been a place where there have been flour mills, paper mills, woolen mills, utilizing that waterfall as um, a resource to power these various industrial projects.
1: Yeah. When you mention the amount of water that's coming over, <laughs> over the falls, uh, that's a lot of power.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And so as a result, the area in front of the waterfall has been built up and it never really uh, had an opportunity to have these viewpoints like we see in the gorge or at other waterfalls around the state. People might have been kind of tracking this a little
1: bit over the last few years that something's happening at, at the falls site, but um, that really kind of escalated last month. Um, can you describe what happened at the last month and, and what you reported on?
0: Yeah. Well, so this has been um, a long time in the making. The, the Blue Heron paper mill was there for for a long time and 2011 it shut down and that land kind of became up for grabs in a lot of sense and so at the time a lot of officials there in oregon city clackamas county and in the state saw that as a great opportunity to finally build public access to the waterfall and so they've been um, trying to find a way to build a public river walk along the uh, the old Blue Heron site, mm-hmm. and they got an easement to do so um, as well. So what happened, though, was that the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde bought that land in 2019 and really changed the narrative. Uh, so while we had these state and city officials who had been for years making these various plans of what they wanted that site to look like, Grand Ronde came in and said, well, this is our land now. And we're going to make what we want this to look like for us. For, thankfully, though, those, those ideas are kind of are pretty much the same. Um, they really resonate really well with one another. Um, but over the, the last month or so, what we've seen now is that the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde has decided to finally start tearing down that mill and start building up what they want to be, um, at that site. Of course, the, the Confederated Tribes, and these are, these are various indigenous communities mm-hmm. that, um, had been on that land for generations; their ancestors had been before they were removed. So for them, this is a really big deal.
1: Yeah. Before we talk about kind of the plans and how it dovetails with what some of those governments were we're talking about, let, let's talk a little, little bit more about what the significance of this uh, natural wonder is to to the tribes. Like, why is this such a important place? And and people have got to be extremely excited about uh, this project.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you can imagine before there were any um, fur trappers or white settlers in this area, you had a bunch of indigenous villages along the Willamette River and along the Columbia River um, where people were living off of the land, um, you know, and it, it just uh, had a great opportunity to do so. With just the sheer bounty of uh, animals and fish and plants that existed in that area. So Willamette Falls was a great place to go fishing for salmon, uh, for lamprey, which is like a, an old eel-like creature, mm-hmm. um, that is prolific at the falls. Uh, and there were a couple of villages, this is according to the, the Confederate tribes of Grand Ronde. They said that there were a couple of villages that were there, um, villages of the Clackamas people, uh, who allowed people to come in and, you know, fish the falls when they wanted. They were sort of the stewards of that area. Um, but it was something that people, um, the Chinookan peoples of the Columbia River, came and fished that area, and people kind of gathered at that that spot to fish, um, to meet, to gather. Um, so it was really a, a great gathering spot for some of the indigenous peoples who lived in that area.
1: And that's continued, right? Despite the difficulty accessing the falls, um, from from what you know, from time. Memorial was there bef- before all these uh, mills and and plants and whatnot, right? Uh, the uh, native peoples have have still used the river itself to access the falls.
0: Yeah, they've they've maintained some fishing rights. So, um, though there have been uh, indigenous people who have been continuing to fish for lamprey and salmon there at the falls. Um, you know, every year there's sort of a big lamprey harvest that happens. Um, so that has been been um, a continued presence there. But now, what's cool is that there's going to be a you know a year round Indigenous presence there at the falls because the Confederated Tribes now owns that land.
1: So let's talk about that, Jamie. You recently went to the official groundbreaking, kind of set the scene. What was it like? Um, who, who was there, and and what did they talk about?
0: Yeah, so there were a bunch of people from the Confederated Tribes that were there, some members of the tribal council. They had a private blessing ceremony that um they they came back from they allowed the press to sort of um walk on to the site of the old blue heron mill and as you're walking through that land now i mean it's just abandoned industrial site um you know it, it's kind of like a, a setting for a zombie movie right yeah. where you've got just you know old sheet metal and you know graffiti and just you know, stuff littering the area. It's very post-apocalyptic and they had an excavator there that they sort of ceremonially started tearing down the corner of one of these buildings just to show sort of, you know, Hey, we're, we're starting this process. But when you look at that, you're seeing, wow, there's a lot of work Hmm. that needs to be done to tear down these old industrial buildings and then to rehabilitate the environment along the banks of the river, because this is an industrial area for over a hundred years um, you know, for almost 200 years. So there's a lot of work to be done to restore that habitat, to make it uh, more friendly for the fish and the animals that used to proliferate there. So they have just so much work to do in order to bring this up to public safety standards and environmental standards before they can think about what are they, what are we going to do there beyond that?
1: yeah i mean this has been such a long process as you alluded to jamie with so many players involved to get to where we're at today i mean who who's still at the table involved beyond the tribes and what are we talking about in terms of roadblocks are we talking like many years and and uh is is there money to to make this vision a reality
0: yeah i mean all of the above. Um, yeah. So there there's obviously a lot of players involved in this. So like we mentioned, um, Oregon City, Clackamas County, um, state representatives, then the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde who own the land. Then back in August, they brought in four other tribes who have ties to this area as well. So Confederated Tribes of Siletz Indians, Confederated Tribes of Umatilla Indian Reservation, Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, and Confederated Tribes and Bands of Yakima Nation all can trace um, their legacy back to people who also uh, utilize the Willamette Falls. So we've got now five tribes, the city, the county, the state, um, not to mention local businesses there in Oregon City for whom this is going to be a, a big boon when it does get developed and becomes, you know, if if the plans come together, a really cool community hub for people, not just locally, but from around the region and like you said um there is a lot of money here mm. um when they the 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 river walk was just going to be the initial thing um that the city and the county and the state were looking at doing the first phase of that was estimated to cost 65 million dollars um and so far they've raised about 28 million of that so this is a lot of money uh there's you know they're looking at public and private funding it's going to be a, a big, big project for every one of these organizations and communities involved.
1: Yeah. When you think of Portland and our region, obviously, we we are on these two just mammoth rivers that are so vitally important culturally, um, economically, um, but there's been so much industrial work on both of them for, as you said, <laughs> centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that we can just... Uh, Uh, easily say, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and and then it becomes a reality.
0: Yeah, there's no waving a wand over Blue Heron and just having it disappear.
1: So how did it come to pass that this massively important place fell out of indigenous hands in the first place?
0: Yeah, I mean, this story is is very similar to what we see um, throughout the Northwest and throughout America. I mean, um, this was an area where you had white settlers come in and saw opportunity for themselves in it. Um, I mean, if we want to talk about officially how it fell out of their hands, mm-hmm. uh, it was part of the Willamette Valley treaty of 1855 um, where Clackamas people ceded that land, to the U S government, and then they were forcibly removed from it after that and sent to um, you know, the, the various reservations that were being set up and before they were dwindled in size. Um, so that's how it officially happened. I mean, it, but it was part of, again, this larger trend of, white settlers coming in and saying, hey, we, we see this, this land is useful for us, and um, seeing indigenous people as a threat to that way of life, and moving them off of it one way or another.
1: Let's take a break, and and we'll come back and talk more with Jamie Hale. So, Jamie, listeners might have heard the phrase, land back, to describe the effort to put Historically important lands like Willamette Falls back in the hands of their, um, you know, historic original um, owners, for lack of a better word, is is this uh, an example of that, or a first step, or kind of a one-off? I mean, what are what do you think, or what do people think when when we look at it through that lens?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, to be honest, you'd have to to talk to you know the Confederated tribes of Grand Ron specifically about what their intentions are emotionally or spiritually or otherwise. And I think each tribe and each indigenous community is going to have various reasons for wanting um, to claim or reclaim land um, that is important to them. When I was at the event, the groundbreaking event here um, at Willamette Falls, what I heard from members of the tribal council is that You know, ideally they would like to reclaim all of their ancestral lands, Mm -hmm. right? Which I think is, is not a big surprise. If you look at the reality of that situation, um, going through say like the court system and saying, Oh, hey, we, we want to reclaim our ancestral lands is probably not, uh, going to be a winning strategy. But what we're seeing more of here in Oregon is tribal organizations. Um, being more opportunistic about when land that is important to them comes up for a sale, jumping on it, um having the funds readily available to purchase that land. We saw something similar with the Nez Perce people um, up in northeast Oregon in the town of Joseph, who mm-hmm. purchased a riverfront piece of property recently that was important to them. So what the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ron said was, hey, this is a really important spot. We saw the opportunity and we took it. And now this is going to hopefully be an example of what they can do when they do reclaim a, an important piece of land like this, um and you know, to, to be able to build it up and make it a really special p- spot, not just for their community, but for all of the community.
1: Jamie, you know, you obviously travel around the state and the and the region and and write about um, you know, all these natural wonders and um uh, that we have. I mean, what what when you think about this, like just the Possibility of having more access um, to to one of those. That's been kind of, again, as we started, it's not something that a lot of Oregonians have a relationship with or knowledge of. I mean, it's got to be pretty exciting from that aspect to finally have a, you know, the potential to have a relationship with this place.
0: Absolutely, I think that's the most exciting thing about this. You know, when they talk about um, what they want to do with this site, they've talked about. You know, having um, space for people to make a relationship with the waterfall Um, in addition to there being restaurants and shops and hotels. Yes, but when they talk about it, they've, they've talked about really wanting to build a bridge between this natural area and the community for whom this has not been accessible. For, for 200 years or, or so, this has been a, spa- a space where there has been industry. And I'm sure people who have worked in the mill, maybe they had their own relationship with it. Mm-hmm. Indigenous people who have been able to continue to fish at the site have had their relationship with it. Um, but for the rest of the community, there hasn't been that kind of bond between this natural place like we've had with other places, like say Multnomah Falls or Mount Hood. Um, we know what it's like to have a relationship with those natural spaces, but at Willamette Falls, We don't, we don't have anything there at all. So it's this really cool opportunity to be able to have a new place to build a new relationship with that I think could be really deep and really special.
1: You know, uh, for, uh, I'm going to put on a, a bad pun, <laughs> like, uh, like your, your host of peak Northwest, Jim Ryan would be proud of, um, <laughs> what big fish may, may be still out there in terms of, <laughs> in terms of, uh, these, uh, sites that are extremely important to, um, to tribes in Oregon, um, and the Northwest that, that are not accessible.
0: I mean, the, the one that comes to mind is Salilo falls. Um, I mean, that, that is Hands down, one of the best natural attractions in Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, and honestly, in North America. Yeah. Um. I mean, it is, uh, so it's, for people who aren't familiar with Celia Falls, this is a waterfall that is on the Columbia River. So similar to Willamette Falls, it's a river waterfall, but it is on the Columbia, which is a much larger river. So um, it is just an enormous, enormous waterfall by volume. So when we talked about Willamette Falls having an average volume of like 33,000 cubic feet a second. So Lilo Falls has an average volume when it was running of uh, closer to like 200,000 cubic feet a second. Um, and at flood stages could breach a million cubic feet a second, which is huge. That's bigger than Niagara Falls. So this is one of the largest waterfalls by volume in the world, which is crazy. And right now it's it's flooded, it's inundated, it's underwater um, due to the dams that have been created on the Columbia River, which provide us, you know, um, hydroelectricity and uh, irrigation and all these things. Um, but they also have totally flooded and prevented any sort of access to the spot that was for generations upon generations for indigenous communities, a really important uh, fishing spot and meeting spot. Um, and continue to be an important fishing spot for the white settlers who came out here as well. Um, this was just a gathering place that was, um, awesome and incredible and, uh, just one of the, the greatest places in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, I don't, I don't foresee any situation in the near future in which that would become, uh, visible again. You would have to destroy the dams. Um, these really important dams on the columbia river but that is i think certainly the biggest fish that is is still out there that remains
1: um what else should i have asked you about either the the groundbreaking you went to or just kind of the overall sense that you got about this uh willamette falls story because it seems like an inflection point here
0: yeah i i it, seems like we haven't seen a lot of these really big ticket projects where a tribal organization is able to really reclaim a site and to then build something for the community on it. Um, when we, you know, I think when people think about, um, you know, tribes and uh, attractions they have built, we tend to think of casinos. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have said specifically, the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronda said that this is not going to be a casino. It's not going to be anything like we've ever seen before here in Oregon. Um, it's going to be a community space where people from inside the tribe and outside the tribe can come and gather and what they said to me, um, one person said, they said, you know, we, we want to share this. You know, we, we, we are a giving people and we really want to share this with everyone. And I think that's a really beautiful sentiment that this is the site that is sacred and important to them, that they are reclaiming for themselves. Yes, but also for everybody. And that's really cool.
1: That is definitely really cool. And uh, I appreciate your coverage of this story and taking time to talk about it.
0: Well, thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to Jamie's recent stories in the episode notes. If you don't already, be sure to subscribe to Peak Northwest. That's Jamie and Jim Ryan's podcast about travel and outdoor adventures across the region. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the program. And tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.